Hello, Liana. Hello, Ed. Uh, well, uh, there's an elephant in the room. Um, we, Liana and I talked about whether we should address what's going on between Israel and Hamas in this podcast or talk about why we're not going to talk about it, then not talk about it. And we've kind of come to the conclusion that we're going to talk about it, which is tough because, you know, we often veer between light like, you know, news and then light stuff and, you know, digressions. And it's difficult when you're dealing with a topic yeah. of this kind of weight. Yeah, I've I've affectionately nicknamed this dilemma the Kobayashi Eliyahu. For those who understand that, that's yeah. very clever. Yeah, um, I, sa- I said that off the cuff to somebody. It's like, do you talk it? Do you not talk to it? It's not the Kobayashi Maru. It's the Kobayashi Eliyahu. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jewish people will understand that. I am not explaining it. <laughs> Eliyahu, Eliyahu is another version of the prophet Elijah. It's a Passover reference. So I think we all know what happened last week in, in Israel when Hamas, uh, in, a, in, in a lightning attack, broached the borders uh, with the intent and uh, to slaughter innocent civilians. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter how old they were, where they were, mm-hmm. and they killed people in the such a, it was just a barbaric fashion. They were going door to door. Oh, you can't, Media Style Guide says you can't call it that. Uh, screw the Media Style Guide. I, I'm being ironic. I just want to point out for people the issues that the media is having right now because there's been guidance issued and it's, I think it's more about how do I put this without putting people off? Um, th- there is a sense of, oh, don't, don't upset the people who could go nuts. So we're, we're just going to use gentle language on one hand, but continue to let people use incredibly inflammatory language on the other. And it's it's backfiring. I mean, mm. the the amount of paranoia. I've seen regarding media messaging on this. I said to one guy who had this elaborate conspiracy theory about why certain words were being used. And I said, I see what you're saying, but the reality is that somebody probably just copy pasted this um, real quick from one press release and another press release. And that explains the discrepancy of language, not some conspiracy. Well, uh, the thing that drives me crazy is the media continues to refer to Hamas as militants or gunmen. No, they are terrorists. They are known as a terrorist organization. The activities they took part in targeting civilians is defined as terrorism. They are terrorists. And this militants, like there are militants uh, about lots of issues that don't go around slaughtering babies in their cribs. This but, is not about militants. They're terror. Why can they not just say, look, they're terrorists because they're afraid of showing bias? The definition of terrorism is what Hamas did. I don't I don't believe it's about bias. I don't. I think it's fear. What are they I afraid think, of exactly? Uh, there's this there's this concept called Orientalism. All and right. 
it basically the idea that people some people see arabic people arabs as savages and so it's like oh don't upset them because they'll go crazy and so i really don't think this is avoiding bias this is a fear based on the idea that some people just can't be expected to behave and i think that's wrong um well it's incredibly racist well Uh, the idea that any people's can't be expected to maintain norms of civility is absurd. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they're... I, I I do think some of this is certain media wings trying to show that they're above it all. And I, I give credit to the various governments in in the US and Canada that for the most part, They've not messed around on this one. They've they've called it what it is and respected that people people understand that when you're criticizing Hamas, you're not criticizing all Palestinians. You know, well, okay? and you, you at least at least I hope you're not because Hamas is uh, Hamas is the government that was elected by by forty percent of the people in Gaza in two thousand and six. The Gazans have not had a chance to vote them out or do anything to moderate them or do anything, have any voice in government since 2006. These are this is not a government. Hamas. They are occupying. uh, They're they're using the Gazans as hostages, basically, because they're like, we'll do what we want. And then if the Israelis come in, we'll go to the world and show them dead bodies and make it look like the Israelis are bad guys. Well, keep in mind as well, the average age in the Gaza Strip is um, 18. So half the population wasn't alive when that election happened. So the idea that Gazans, uh, like ordinary Palestinian civilians, bear responsibility for what Hamas did is just wrong. It's ignorant. It's, again, you know, when a nation... Uh, that is peopled by by white people do something. Uh, does that mean all white people are responsible? It's well, just... this is where we get into the problems with rhetoric, right? Because the talking points on the left have been, yes, you're all collectively responsible, which is just really not true. You, people may have benefited in ways they don't realize because of that status. But that doesn't mean you're well, okay. responsible. You're you're talking about the uh, past of, in Canada, the, the fact that this area that our country was colonized and bad mm-hmm. things were done to, uh, to, to the native population and so on. And there are people on the left are saying that every person who lives here now who's non-native should feel guilty. As opposed to, okay, you don't, you shouldn't feel guilty, but you should feel responsible for trying to make this country as fair and equitable as possible. I, I, I just think people should be informed. You know, it, don't feel guilty, but understand because anybody who has an understanding of how complicated these events are, it. It goes back and back and back and back and back. We a group of us tried to track it 
this and, and we were going all the way back you know 1500 years and we were still digging the the situation with israel and palestine is just and that's the thing about people cheering sides like sports teams we're gonna be right back here again what's going on here is not going to settle anything and you know it'll go another 10 years and then there will be another outbreak of war because that's what's happening that's what well, happens the the fact is arab nations have never seen the palestinian people as people as human beings with it, intrinsic value as human life they are they've been a lever they've been a tool that they could use uh, to hold a knife to israel's throat uh, they they don't care about the Palestinian individuals. When the Palestinians uh, are when Palestinians are are killed in conflict, they say they are they are martyrs to the glorious cause. They don't feel the same remorse. Those those distant leaders don't feel the remorse that these are individuals. They just see them as a convenient tool. And because if this problem, the the, the refugee situation. Uh, with the Palestinians could have been solved decades ago if the Arab nations were willing to step in and shoulder some of the responsibility, take some of the uh, take some of the uh, refugees, do something. Uh, but they don't want to. Like for example, when uh, Ehud Barak was prime minister of Israel mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. Bill uh, under Bill Clinton, there was a discussion. There was a truce. There was a discussion between Arafat of the PLO and uh israel mm -hmm. and uh, uh under a hood barack israel offered between like upwards of 85 percent they agreed to upwards of 85 percent of what the palestinian leadership was asking for and then and they said the rest will is subject to continued negotiations when you're in a negotiation you're lucky if it turns out 60 40 never mind you're going to get like 85 percent but mm -hmm. Arafat recognized that if that happened and that brought peace to the region, he would become irrelevant. A new generation of leaders who are more uh, diplomatic and didn't have the terrorist baggage that he did, they would come to the fore. And him and his cronies, Arafat and his cronies, were living pretty well. There are mm -hmm. billions of dollars of foreign aid, that billions that were supposed to go to help the Palestinian people that disappeared under Arafat and has mm -hmm. have never been found. They didn't want their lives and their power disrupted. So they didn't want peace. And so he just drummed up the second intifada. These Palestinian leaders don't care about the Palestinian people. Okay, let's face it, Netanyahu's not much better. Uh, Netanyahu's a uh, uh, an un uh, well an unconvicted criminal as far as I'm concerned. Hey, he's got no morals. He's morally bankrupt. He's willing to make any deal with any devil to uh, achieve uh, power to be in the prime minister's office. Uh, I have zero, less than zero respect or use for Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah, it's it's just this is this is just scratching the surface of the whole thing. And the question is, what do you do? Because you know, various governments take various positions to, let's face it, advantage themselves. When a government makes a statement about this conflict, it tends to be the messaging they want to 
you know, extend at home. So the the idea that anyone, any entity really cares about the people in Gaza, it just things would be going very, very differently if that were true. Various um, entities and people use it to grandstand and call attention to themselves because the hardline rhetoric from the left, the religiously charged rhetoric from the right, if any of that worked, if any of that was going to bring peace, it would have worked already. If people are actually serious about peace, they have to try something new now. It hasn't worked. Insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. And so at this point, if people keep just doing what they've been doing, we need to really assume that they're not they're not serious about peace. They're serious about looking good in front of their privileged friends. Well, and you're talking about, I think, uh, white liberals, white leftists in North America and Western countries. Am I well, correct? It's, it's not just white, but I, I mean, Lindsey Graham called it a religious war. Like, come on, dude. Just... All right, well, that guy, you can't take anything that guy says with anything more than a grain of salt. The guy just, nothing he says is reliable. Nothing he says is thought through. Almost nothing he says is factual. He's, uh, he's, he's no bellwether for- people's opinions but that's the point though is any anybody really reliable on this because no one actually knows how to do it nobody there is no path and so it's just you know people try to contain it people try to go in there and mitigate the suffering but there's there's no solution doesn't involve, unfortunately, the complete destruction of the state of Israel. Well, that's what they want. That's ultimately these terrorists will not be satisfied until Israel ceases to exist. And as they've been chanting at their pro-Palestinian riots or rallies, uh, driving the Jews into the sea. That's not that is not every person who attended those rallies. That's a minority. Even the organizers condemn that speech. Yeah, but I'm saying the terrorists are not happy until the Israel ceases to exist and the Jews are slaughtered. Uh, I I don't even think I don't even think it's that calculated. I think they these are psychopaths who like violence and this is an excuse. It's the wrapping on being able to hurt people. Well, and that's why, even though the Middle East, like all political conflicts in the world, uh, are, are shades of gray. I mean, the media likes to determine uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, one wears the white hat, one wears the black hat. For many years, Israel wore the white hat, Palestinians wore the black hat. Then it switched. Yeah. Um, but they don't, they don't want to deal with nuance, which is that there's gray hats. The thing about what uh, Hamas did last week is there's no gray there. That is black or white. What they did is reprehensible and it's not it's not defensible. I don't understand why supporters of Israel like myself can say what I said about Benjamin Netanyahu, can criticize, can support the existence of Israel and at the same time not support every single thing that they do, find critique and criticism in some of their actions. Why? Why can we do that? But. 
people who are some people, some people, I should say, who support the Palestinian cause will not disavow what Hamas did. Okay, uh, let's face I don't it, understand there's... why you can't say we want a Palestinian state. We don't want it uh, through these means. OK, but some pro-Israel types make the same mistake as well. There's there's well-meaning people on both sides. There's not nice people on both sides. I'm really trying to watch my language. It's it's not. Nobody's behaved collectively terribly well here. And I, I have to disagree. I think that the pro-Israel rallies, the official ones, um, have been about uh, supporting Israel, about uh, helping to comfort those who lost people, who've lost, uh, who, whose families have disappeared. It, they weren't chanting that I heard of death to the Arabs, death to the Palestinians. It wasn't about let's kill them. It was about we're trying to take care of, of our own that have been hurt. So I think that those official uh, uh, rallies, uh, pro-Israel rallies, have been quite civilized and, See, and quite contained. I've seen some things from the, you know, the the Christian conservative supporters of Israel that have been just as bad. And just because that's not a rally, that's still, you know, an official position. It. There are people when things are running this hot, there are going to be people acting like fools or worse, you know, bad faith on on. Every, there are opportunists that are just using this to grandstand. And I think it's really it's not productive to try to figure out who's worse. It's just, you know, well, who's worse in regards to what? Well, who's worse in regards to behavior? Between the is, well, I don't know. You're you're drawing this line, and you seem to be like protests or protests. Like, I mean, the the rallies for Israel are much more mainstream than the than the the whatever you want to call them, uh, pro Palestinian or they're much more mainstream now because they were responding to the, the horrific stories coming out of those kibbutzes and the festival. And so it's really an apples and oranges comparison. Um, I've, I've seen people with platforms saying unhelpful things all around because no matter what you say here, people who support a position are going to hear you're talking about them. And what good does that do? Nothing. You're well, not persuading anybody. I think that it's important when something, when activities, when, when, when atrocities are committed by any group, some stand up and say, this, this is an atrocity. This is beyond the, what we expect. Uh, there are actually civilian, like civil laws, governing war, if you can believe it or not. Uh, this is beyond that. We will not accept behavior beyond these parameters. Okay. You've got to stand up and okay. condemn it. But the problem is, you take that position, Israel is about to violate that position. The order to cut off food and water to the Gaza Strip, that is just to create suffering. 
uh, I see it as wrong, cutting off food and water, but I don't see it the same as beheading babies and burning them in their cribs. That, it's just not the same. Okay, that's the question. Do you want to die fast? Do you want to die slow? Like, I don't want to have this conversation. That's my whole point. This is when things start circling the bowl. There's no winning. This is going to go nowhere. This type of conversation. The question is, what do, do the people involved do about this? What is the solution? How do we get this to stop? And they're just aren't any answers. So you can demonize my position all you want, Ed. It doesn't change anything. This is not productive. And this is why people start feeling attacked and misunderstood. And this is the stuff that's gotta reduce. Because if we can't talk about this here without people resulting in low blows, then how the heck are they gonna solve the problems over there? Well, uh, if what I did constituted a low blow, I didn't intend it and I apologize. And as you pointed out, solutions in this situation are very elusive because I think there's a lot of powers that be that really don't want a solution. I think that uh, the Netanyahu governments uh, over the years have wanted the uh, Palestinian factions to keep fighting with each other and to keep this to keep giving lip service to a two state solution, while at the same time building new uh, settlements taking over more Palestinian lands and making a two-state solution almost impossible. Uh, I so I don't think a... they wanted uh, they wanted a two-state solution. Okay. And there's Arab countries that at the same time, they don't want to see the status quo change. Okay, that does not matter regarding people talking about it in Canada. That's the thing. There's a deeper layer. It is not fashionable to communicate to try to seek consensus. The way the media does things is every everything has to be scoring points for the base, talking past each other, those rhetorical flourishes I pointed out before. And that is not informing anyone. That is just creating conflict theater. And people copy the style of debate they see in the media and it's it's not it doesn't solve problems. It doesn't create understanding. It's just a fight to fight. And I am so sick of that format. And it's everywhere. You know, I work with people to try to help them build their communication skills, among other things. And I have to then code switch to do this sort of format. And it is painful to have to switch those gears because I hear and I see how the way we communicate for the purposes of like talk radio, that communication style, I see the after effects, the pain it causes people to be on the receiving end of that. So okay. why are we doing it? Why is this entertaining? Entertaining, I hope it's not. But it, that, that's the whole point of it. Because it doesn't no, solve I, anything. Sometimes it's, in, yeah, yeah, it's discussion can be helpful. And... Yeah, but not when it's sophistry. Not when it's just rhetoric and not actually uh, a commitment to facts and truth. Well, on that, we can absolutely agree. We have to go to a break, but we'll be back. All right, Liana, on the situation in the Israel-Hamas war, I think we can both agree that we feel terrible for the Palestinian civilians in, uh, in Gaza. I mean, I think that's an understatement, personally. Like, it, it actually bothers, like, bothers me a lot, preoccupies oh. my thoughts. 
about what those civilians are going through right now. Well, I think um, that's I think that's why these conversations tend to get so heated so fast is because people feel bad and we don't teach people how to keep your head when you are feeling terrible. Most people just want the bad feeling to stop and they'll lash out at whoever's right in front of them to get the ick to go away. It doesn't work. It just makes you feel worse because then you have guilt because of what you said to somebody that you now can't take back. You know, I I earlier I saw a Palestinian Canadian friend of mine and she said somebody she runs a, a business and somebody walked in who's been her client for years who happens to be Jewish and she said how are you doing how do you think I'm doing and she just unloaded on her knowing what her background was like that's not okay it's not okay considering this person they they uh they're they're Christian so they have family back there and they don't, they're just caught, you know, the non-Jewish, non-Muslim populations in that area are so stuck. And that's an untold story as well. You know, there's a lot of groups, a lot of other groups with connections to that area who can't do anything. And the whole thing is just so, it's sickening is the best way to say it. And people are acting based on that emotion instead of going, hold up. Instead of, a lot of people assume the other person's having a great, awesome day with no problems and they're upset. That's the wrong assumption. You know, this is hurting me. It's hurting you. Let's have a conversation based on the other person also being raw. Let's just not pick those scabs. But people aren't taught to do that and so when they're emotionally compromised they go for the throat and that's something we can do something about we can do better there well i i agree that unfortunately a lot of people are not thinking they're emoting they're reacting i understand why i do okay. understand why the passions are high but do you uh, do you i agree with you that, I that don't doesn't solve though. anything do you assume i don't what? Do you assume I don't understand that they're feeling and not thinking? No. Because, of course, that's my whole point. You can't have a logical discussion when you're that emotionally compromised. The problem is people try because they don't realize how emotionally compromised they are. And so I'm fine. You're the one with the problem. They deflect and project. But they're well not fine. I am. Uh, I, it's become clear to me while this we we were discussing this that I am emotional about this subject, oh, and that I've not necessarily been reacting in a a logical, uh, uh, constructive manner. But um, this this has always been the my issue with this 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 very particular type of speech that we do in this format is we act like it's facts and logic and debate me and all this nonsense. 90% of what people hear on these formats is emotionally driven reasoning. And there's nothing wrong with that. Emotions happen faster than thoughts in the human brain. We are feeling creatures possibly more than we are thinking creatures. Thinking takes training. Emotions happen like instincts. And to be truly logical, you have to embrace 
the emotional underpinnings of our thoughts. We, pure cognition without emotion ends up with really terrible decisions. That empathy we have can either make us capable of incredible cruelty because we jump to assumptions and conclusions that aren't true, or it can help us make the right compassionate decision. But that merging, what we call cognitive empathy, takes training. Why aren't we teaching this stuff? It would make everything better. It's as much a life skill and a logical skill as learning formal logic and Aristotelian thinking. But we don't teach it because it's soft, it's weak, it's girly. I'm so done with that nonsense. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to add to that because I don't disagree. I, I, I agree with it. I hate the term. I don't disagree because if you don't disagree, you agree. Why not just say you agree? I, I, I agree I actually, with you. I actually think that there's a place for I don't disagree. Because, again, one another thing we fail at with moral reasoning is the 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 inert or neutral state. You know, this the, the left, at least, well, the right has been very black or white thinking on things like religion. You know, if even one person is hurt, come on, nobody can, no law, no policy can reach that standard. Of course, people are going to be hurt. We can minimize it, but bad people do bad things. But, you know, the left has this idea of you're either against something or you're for it. There's no neutral state. That's wrong. There is there is a null state. There is people who just don't know enough to pick a side and to not allow people the chance to catch up, to actually catch their breath and figure out what they think. That's just a bully tactic. I remember following what you're saying. I remember when uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was the guy who uh, yeah. killed two people in uh, Wisconsin. Um, for during a protest, uh, when he was being tried, I mm -hmm. went on uh, Twitter because there was no X then and <laughs> said, look, here are the legal arguments. Here is the legal bar that has to be mm -hmm. met. And mm -hmm. people were saying, you support this killer. You support this, the, the what did they, somebody call him the uh, Kenosha killer. You and I was like, no, I wasn't there's... taking any position here. I was explaining this is the legal bar that has to be met. But in any sort of mediation, you'd flunk out of that course, putting words in your mouth like that. And again, if people really want to solve problems, then they'll slow down and stop just trying to go for blood. It it this is you the number of people who use the word peace when they're using this this very aggressive rhetoric it's it would be funny if it wasn't so wrong you know what was you... uh the slogan for that uh, tv character comic character uh peacemaker oh he, I, he's so, I, I, he's so I, dedicated I, to peace and he doesn't care how many people he has to kill to get it well, that that the reason that line I think hit home was because that's it's a very modern sentiment, right? That that was wonderful satire because people don't think they do that, but they do. 
that that is the mindset of a lot of people. Like, I want everything to be better. You first. And it doesn't work that way. You know, the people preaching restraint to, you know, people who have been fighting since, again, at least 500 years in that area. Um, You know, whenever they built the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's like they've been fighting ever since then about who belongs there. And to to lecture the people of that region about peace, about restraint, when we can't even do it in conversations from an extremely safe distance, to me is the height of hypocrisy. That may be the most clear, profound statement about all of this that I have heard yet. Like I said, it's the Kobayashi Eliyahu. Kobayashi Eliyahu. Well, let's um, let's continue talking about people who can't get along. Um, and after the break, we'll talk about what's going on in uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. Case in point of people who should not be lecturing. Yeah. Right there. Right Lord there. Of mercy. Wow. We'll, yeah. We'll be we'll be back. So for those who haven't been following what's going on in the U.S., uh, in the House of Representatives, Congress, uh, they there there's no speaker you need a speaker of the house to effectively make the agenda to call votes to basically make everything happen mm-hmm. there's no speaker there's no activity in congress and the extreme right wing of the republican party toppled the republican speaker and now it seems like nobody wants the job because nobody the party is so split that nobody can get a majority of votes and have a secure speakership. So people are saying, the hell with this. I don't need the headaches. I I there I think there are people who absolutely want the job, but they I, don't have consensus. Well, yeah. some of those people that absolutely want the job absolutely should not have the job. Well, that's a different thing. But yes, absolutely. But I mean, Jim Jordan, the fact that he thinks he can... He could unite the party is just what? Well, but the problem is, if you look at the Republican bench now, who can unite the party? Nobody, because they are they. I mean, it's one thing to say you've got a big tent. Uh, you know, po- political parties say we've got a big tent. We take a, we have a lot of uh, different points of view, but we have a big tent. But when you've got a big tent. And one group of people is setting fire to the tent. Right. That big tent doesn't work anymore. So they have been accommodating. The Republicans have been accommodating further and further radicalization of uh, the party since the Tea Party uh, rose. And this is what happens when you accommodate people who are not willing to accommodate you. Uh, You've got a party that doesn't function. Let's face it, this is part of this is certain fringes in government. And again, there's there's a problem with the squad this way as well. They are trying to make government do function in a way it just does not function. And that is never going to work. I don't know. I, I don't know what the path forward for the U.S. is legislatively at this point in time, because if nobody can agree, if no person 
can get enough votes to be elected speaker, how does the House move forward uh, debating bills, passing bills, dealing with the business of the, the citizens they were elected to represent? It's it, what a mess. Like it's a, from a political point of view, it's very interesting. You know, talk about being dispassionate. But from a, a human point of view, what a mess. I take no joy in seeing what's happening to the U.S. I know that there are people like, oh, we're Canada, we're better. Look at the U.S. I don't take any joy in watching what's happening there, watching the, this country tear itself apart. There's and there's no benefit for Canadians, by the way, but I don't see any benefit for anyone. This is this is a, I mean, we're in a crucial time in history, unfortunately. We're watching, we're living history. And only, uh, that sucks. The only benefit is in a cautionary tale that, you know, recognizing those tactics don't work. You're always the the entire U.S. system was set up to grind to a halt when people start trying to do what these extremists in government are trying to do. The system is working as intended. The U.S. system is all about get along or nothing gets done. Now, yeah, rightly or wrongly, uh, yeah. that's by design. You well, know, and the whole reason experience and credentials are supposed to matter here is that your people allegedly are supposed to elect people who know how to make government function, but that hasn't been the paradigm lately. It's been a burn it all down break it so badly we have to totally rebuild it from the ashes and that hasn't worked the the design of the system is just too resilient well if the inefficient. problem <laughs> uh, it, yes if inefficient the problem with these systems uh, in western governments is they were uh, created founded on the notion of people going into government service with uh, with good goals, at least enough people going in with an actual desire to serve the public. They were not designed as what happens when you get a lot of people who don't want to serve the public, when you get a lot of people with an agenda that is not serving the majority of the people. They, they grind to a halt because we're well, relying too much on people of, of good conscience and some people have no conscience. There's no way that the people who designed these systems back in the day could have predicted the the influence of you know the the requirements the costs the financial costs of campaigning and how that's changed politics because you need to make these out there statements to cut through the noise to get people to be aware of you you know because you can win an election with 35% support so the way to do that is alienate the right 60% so that 35% will love you. It, it that's that's why I'm in favor of ranked ballots as election reform because ranked ballots prevents that because you want to be enough people's second choice. Yeah, I mean, that's the only electoral system change that I would support for Canada. Uh, uh, proportional representation I, i've not seen it work in a way that tells me it's better than first past the post i just proportional, haven't 
proportional representation is why Netanyahu continues to be in power. And why his government tilted so far right yeah. this time. Because yeah. a small group held, uh, holds power and that group is radical and they make demands and they get their demands met it completely well, out of proportion five... of the number of people who support them politically. There's about five parties. I mean, there's Shas, but there's also a bunch of parties I've never heard before, but they're all Haredi. They're all, you know, very, very right wing religious. And then there's one just flat out alt-right party. But these yeah, are, I mean, that... none of these parties could be in power on their own. It, you know, it's like when you're playing, when you're playing D&D, and I don't know if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, Ed, but one goblin, not dangerous. 20 goblins, you're in trouble. It all comes back to D&D one way or another, doesn't it? Well, that that makes people happy. People can understand that all instead right. of, you know, it's all about common language. So people don't understand Shas and Heredi and like all these terms. People are like, what is this? But you they know, get I, goblins. They get goblins and they get, you know, because, you know, people are playing Baldur's Gate 3 now. So they'll know that. They know what a druid is. They know what a goblin is. You know, it, all right. We, you know we what can, I know? I what? know what a break is. And we got to take one. Excellent segue. Thank you. I'm terrible at those. So I'm glad I did one that worked. Nice we'll be back. Segue. All right. Very little time, as usual, uh, for us to close it up um this That's was okay this is the show nobody wanted to do <laughs> and we're i'm wondering yeah we, I, I don't know if it was the right choice to talk about it or not but we I, did i and... i think so i mean i think that um that there's sometimes you have to have the unpleasant necessary conversation well i think in the main segment, the first segment, there's definitely examples of the pitfalls of discussing what's going on in the Middle East uh, and, and you know, ways to approach it, ways that are not so good to approach it and uh, ways you may be approaching it that you're not aware that you're making it, somebody else out to be a horrible person when that was never your intention. So it's I think it's talk about a cautionary tale. Well, it, it was one, a lesson. It was one, a teachable moment. One tip. I'll give someone is if your intentions are good, you'll pay attention to outcomes. And if you're talking and suddenly someone is getting very upset or you're noticing it ramp up and you don't know why that wasn't your intention, stop and ask why and really be prepared to listen to the answer because that's data. And so many people are so conflict diverse that they don't want to inquire about why someone is, is seeming to get upset. And, you know, if you've got somebody who can't admit they're upset, well, that's a different problem. But it at least it makes a person feel like you care when you're acknowledging you know, not to criticize that you care that they seem agitated and express that you don't want that. But the best way to show you don't want that is to stop doing the thing that that upset them. 
and listen to them about why it upset them because that's the best way to not do it again. Don't be so quick to dismiss someone's opinion just because you don't agree with it or you don't agree that it should bother them. It doesn't matter. It did. And if you well, value that person, a little bit of caring goes a long way. Well, I am again uh, sorry that uh, I misrepresented you um, earlier um, and put you in a in a box that you you weren't you weren't in. Um, well, see, I, I know I know you you weren't um, uh, you weren't intending to, and you know when when emotions run fallacies happen upset people tend to engage in hyperbole but it's also let's face it a nature of this medium that it just becomes so ingrained oh take the big moment you know take the promo real moment that this is why i'm not very good at this format i just can't do that i i i disagree Oh, I, I've I've been told by very many sources in the media that I am not good at this, but yeah, but who says that they're authorities? Um, well, that's the thing. I I am good at what I am good at, and I think that my what I am good at is better in the long run than scoring a few cheap points so people listening in their cars can go, yeah, get them. You know, I, I have zero right. I have zero interest in, in that kind of back and forth. I think it's a race to the bottom. Oh, and apropos of nothing, um, I didn't even try a segue there, uh, Leanna. Um, I did a interview with Howie Mandel, uh, a son of Toronto who's done well in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you what did you watch him on mostly? Would you have seen like Bobby's World and stuff? Well, that one was Bobby, that one. Yeah, yeah. That voice? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I remember the days where he used to put a glove on his head. And blow it up. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen him do walk-ons at Yuck Yucks a few times. Do you know what happened with that glove gimmick? Didn't he, like, perforate his, like, sinus or something like that and had to stop doing it? Yeah, he he was doing it in a show. And what happened, he put the glove, latex glove, over his face, uh, down under his nose, and he didn't inflate it by using his nose. And he perf- the pressure uh, perforated a sinus, which was excruciatingly painful. So that was the yeah. end of that. One. Yeah. Um, if somebody would have warned him that maybe, you know. I don't, I mean, how many people are walking around or were walking around with the experience of putting a glove over their head? Uh, I tried it once as a kid because I saw the TV shows. It's harder than he made it look. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Yeah. Not, not that it's harder, but that you tried it. All right. Um, you can check out that interview. It's uh, quite funny. We uh, It was like a superhero, like when two superheroes meet in comics. Oh, we yeah. fought it first, and then we teamed up. Nice. Um, go to therock.fm. You'll find it there, or you can find it on The Rock's YouTube was channel. He, was he cool, though? Yes. Very nice. cool. I was very impressed. Awesome. Good. Uh, yeah. Good. Still sharp as ever. Yeah, it was very sharp. And That's because awesome. it was done over Zoom, there was no worry about germs. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do people do people need that explained? Oh, he's a germaphobe. He's got OCD. He's got mysophobia, which is does, germaphobia. Does he really? Yeah. Is that diagnosed? Yeah. I should have money. It's not therapy. You know. You know. Okay. Let. I, I'm going to work on that. All right. 
Um, Liana is takes that that uh, reason, um, emo- uh, empathy uh, based reason to her uh, podcast. It's not therapy. Uh, available on all podcast platforms. I recommend you listen to it. And uh, I'm on The Rock, uh, 94.9 The Rock, midnight to 5 a.m., Monday to Friday, Eastern Time. And you can find old shows on demand at therock.fm or The Rock app. All right, Leanna, we've come to the end, and you know what to do. Bye-bye. 